0: How many of you know what a LARP is? L-A-R-P. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Live action role player? Anybody? Has anybody gone to a reenactment for the, um, uh, the Civil War? I know they have them around here periodically. And if you have, wh- what did you notice? That the people that show up, it's almost like they wanna recreate that moment. They're going from 2019 on the timeline all the way back to uh, that, that period of time when we were at war with one another. And what they try to do is they, they, they try to, in every last detail, uh, create the costuming and the weapons of warfare, the, uh, the placement of everything relative to strategy and then they, they reenact the battles, and, and I'm assuming they don't use, you know, real weapons and things like that, that people walk away from this. But it seems to be a fascination with a lot of people that uh, they can find it all consuming. There are other people that are younger that like to go back to a more medieval period, and maybe they've, uh, maybe you've been a part of a renaissance fair where people who, from that period of time, create chainmail, and they create swords and they create um, uh, agrarian gear for farming and all of that stuff and it seems to be an obsession that people are drawn into. A live action role play is something that is an alternate way to live your life. I don't know if we were able to fix the, the video for that or not. Is that, is that a possibility? Okay. Broken. Yeah. That's a whole nother topic. Our live action role play involves some broken electronics um, that may have some dark forces behind. But that's a whole nother sermon. Uh, I, I kid you not. Um, that globe went out last week. This one went out this week. And it's not like we haven't replaced these bulbs a million times. That, that screen went out. The computer keeps breaking down on us. The sermon got ready to happen in the nursery. And as soon as it did, it quit. It's not the fault of anybody who's trying to keep this electronic infrastructure going and it's a pattern that just seems to be going on and it's very frustrating. So our live action role play in some ways is dealing with with <coughs> perhaps dark dark forces that don't want the message to be heard. But let's focus on the on the on the task at hand and look at what that means. Now, a larper is somebody that engages an alternate version of their existence with a community of people that has their own rules, their own setting, their own challenges, their own design. And it could be a period of time that is celebrated in history like the Civil War or it could be something that involves the, 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 the life before things got complicated in the modern world set back in medieval times. And I think about all of the people that do these things and I, I wonder sometimes if they are not just, you know, nerds on steroids, or if it's something that runs deeper. And when you ask people that are LARPers, they will tell you that at first when they saw people engaging in these activities, they felt like it was just weird. But as they kind of looked as, a, as, a, as an outsider at the, at the How these things unfold, some people are drawn into it and the testimony that I was going to show you simply said from a cross-section of people, I never thought this could be so much fun. I never thought that this could be so consuming and all enjoyable. And the thing that I wanted to bring to the table was, what is it about creating a game like that that you can engage with that becomes an obsession? Perhaps it's because the life that we are called to live, sometimes we, we don't like. We don't like our boss. We don't like the responsibility that we have. We don't like the stuff that happens in our world that is so frustrating. My case, I don't like the stink bugs that are collecting on the outside of my house. And, and, and if I try to gamify it, I'll just put some soap and water, which appears to be the best YouTube solution that the geniuses on YouTube have come up with and you spray them with it and hopefully the bubbles will go into their system and eventually they'll fall away and die. And that is the mundaneness and the frustratedness, frustrationness of living life in this world. If you wanted to take it a little bit deeper, you find that when you turn on on uh, on, on the television set or you look online, you see that, well, the problems run much deeper than just stink bugs. There's a lot that stinks, and we look at our government, and we find that it's in disarray and that impeachment is, is, the, uh, is the war drum that's being banged, and we think, wow, the state of our government is somewhat sketchy right now at best and highly dysfunctional at worst. And we zoom back a little bit farther, and we think about how that applies to our lives personally, and this week there was a notification that was, that was dispersed in the form of news that said if you are paying for health care, it's going to cost you roughly $20,000 annually just to, have, just to have it. Now, obviously, your employer and, and, and other mechanisms are in play for many of us that help out in that regard. But at the end of the day, that's what it's costing. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I get that. And my concern is when I retire, which for some of us, we're a little bit closer to that than others. And some people are saying, I'll never be able to retire knowing that I'll have to pay that much money in health care alone, or perhaps they're thinking Medicare will cover it, but there will be supplemental. And as you just begin to do the math of the cost of living, a lot of people have said things are so bad right now that I don't even know if I can retire in the United States of America. So there is a trend afoot where people are going to Ecuador where they can retire and live a pretty normal middle-class standard of living, which so many of us are used to, for about $2,000 a month. And that includes healthcare, And people who look at all of these concerns find themselves, as they do the math, quickly getting overwhelmed by just how depressing it can be and how powerless you feel in your effort just to try to make ends meet. And these are just normal, mundane, real world experiences that we all have. That's notwithstanding that report that we get that says, oh, yeah, you have a severe health issue that's going to require a long period of therapy or recovery. And I think about people like Liz Elias who when she, shortly after I came, she was diagnosed with with breast cancer. She had uh, a, a very powerful recovery period that involved a lot of stamina and just a lot of dig deep and a lot of prayers only to have it happen again. And in the 14 years that I've been here, I've seen her go through two cycles, and yet there's something about her demeanor that tells me there's, there, there's a little answer for all of this that we can be pulled into. And maybe like her, who I, I know her well enough to know she's been a believer for a long time. She's learned to trust the Lord for a long time, and somehow in the course of her experience... I think she found the treasure or the, the mystery was decoded or the thing that enabled her to get through it was discovered. And when we look at micro-mastery, you know, just getting good at a few things in a small amount so that they can have huge impact, one of the biggest things that we face is how adversity comes our way. How when we walk out of this place and we get in our cars, our mind starts gravitating towards the concerns that we have about the week ahead. And I'm sure they're all different in this room, but I'm sure that if we were to talk to one another in in sort of a, a gathering of 10 or 12 people and telling our stories, we might discover that they're pretty similar. The problems are no different from one person to another. The shortcomings, the failures, the things that we look at and we say, I'm the only one. And when God looks at this room and sees all of your lives, he says, I know you're all struggling. I know that this is a thing. As a matter of fact, when my son was getting ready to finish up his work here on earth, he pulled all of the people, about 12 of them, that he was especially fond of and discipling, and he said, I'm getting ready to go. But don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also in God. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So there is something over the horizon that we can anticipate. But in the meantime, he reminds us, in this world, you will have trouble. But you need to take comfort in this knowledge. I've overcome the world. And that really is the basis for the hope that we have. And it's a hope that we have to over time and through a variety of experiences that come our way on the timeline as we navigate one, navigate one challenge after another, after we fight one battle after another, we begin to realize I have, I have a resource. I have a means of facing this. And if we master anything in our Christian life it is it is it is this one thing that we're getting ready to talk about it was a thing that the apostle Paul was obsessed over matter of fact it isn't even a thing it's I'll just tip my hand it's a person and it's that connection that this person has with your life and mine that gives us the ability to be hopeful despite what we hear on the news despite what comes our way in any given day or moment despite the disappointment that we have in life or the frustrations that tend to knock us down whenever we feel like we're just getting some momentum. And I, I, I hope that I can bring that hope to bear upon your life, not through anything that I say, but perhaps through how the word is communicating it through me to your, your life and, and even speaking to my heart as well. So I wanted to look at a few passages from the book of Colossians. And in it, Paul talks about this hope very confidently. And he gives us some snapshots that I, I think are good takeaways for us. And I'm going to gravitate to three places in the book of Colossians. And I'm going I'm to kind of work backwards a little bit and look at um, chapter 3 for starters. And I, I want you to see that um, the Apostle Paul is, he's looking at your life and mine, and he's bringing us the good news. And he's telling us that there is a bloodstained cross on that timeline that has each of our names on it, both for good and for bad, for our sins and for our forgiveness. And that blood-stained cross is also a means by which you and I can begin to master those things in life that we are otherwise helpless. And the reason why there's hope is because Paul never stops at that cross but says, in effect, it leads to an empty tomb. And that empty tomb says whatever it is in this life that is so frustrating that is such a threat to us that is a a cause for alarm there's nothing more powerful than a witness to a life that was dead coming back for all of eternity raised immortal to pave the way for us. And so Paul says that applies to you and I. If then you have been raised with Christ, and that would be us, seek the things that are above. Now, some of you may be new to the faith, and if you are, that is wonderful, and hopefully I can communicate in a way that, 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 that helps you along the way. As you think about Jesus, who we have just exalted in worship, the name of Jesus, what a wonderful name, one of the things about Jesus that we discover in the Bible is that he became one of us. He was God who became man. He reduced his capacities to perform miracles and to do the dramatic things that God can can do. He reduced himself to a state of total dependence on the Father. Essentially, he said, I can't do anything unless the Father enables me. And what he was trying to set us up for was a a new way, a new map, a new understanding of how we do life on this earth in the midst of very profound struggles. And as he's living this life out, he starts out with baptism. He begins his ministry on the other side of the Jordan River. He goes down in of baptism as an act of honoring the Father's, sorry about this, honoring the Father's purposes and fulfilling all righteousness, leaving that, that, that watery grave in, a, in, 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 in principle to go and be tested for 40 days and to go through severe trial and in that process revealing to us the way. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I just want to set this up so that you know that when Paul says that, it's got a storyline behind it for you and I. And I want everyone in this room to to know how the storyline works. So we're seeking things that are above. Now, if you're like me, it doesn't take very much uh, input from the news to get depressed. It doesn't take very much input from the side of my house and seeing all the bugs and seeing the limited supply of soap and water I have to get depressed. And everything from the trivial to the, to the really deep stuff, I can get overwhelmed. And maybe you can too. And as we look at that sorry state of affairs of life, well, life without Jesus is hopeless. And yet, if we know him, it's a completely different story. So, getting back to our scripture, as Paul is looking at the biggest thing that he is intending for this church to keep alive, it's the hope that we have in the one who's defeated our greatest enemy, death. Establishing that. He goes into uh, a, a phrase that says, "Seek the things that are above," and as we're as we're seeking them, I, I just want to do like a, a psychological thing for a second. All right, now when um, wh- when a f- when a person is depressed, what do we say? They, that person looks like they are feeling down. Or when a when when a person is um, is is struggling, uh, you have you have language that has to do with the fact that they, they just you know they, they, they feel like they're just getting lower and lower in, in 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 their relation to everything around them. And it's sort of like on a vertical plane, you have strong language and strong emotions that have to do with a sense of being hopeless. And if you remember the title of the message, it is how we, how we really get connected with the real world, how we live lives according to the real world. And you could say that when you look at it and everything that happens at the ground level, when we look down, we're like, reality is a little tough to bear. And it can make us, well, it can make us very deeply depressed even if we're healthy otherwise. And when, 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 when things start to go well, what do, we say? what do we say to each other? It looks like things are looking up. And you can probably just interject a whole host of language that talks about feeling up, feeling better, things are looking up, on and on. And the point is this. Even whenever we smile, if our mouth is kind of curling upward, we're like, that person feels good and when we're frowning and our mouth is curling downward we say that person is struggling and there's just something about up and down being in a good place not being in a good place that exists on that on that vertical plane and when the apostle paul says look at christ seated above he's actually talking about our posture how we look at what we are faced with relative to where he is. And that's a critical part of this. He goes on to write that there is a mystery. And I want to describe that for just a second because for the longest time, the only place that I looked was down. And the only thing that it did for me was got me depressed. So depressed that had they had LARPers, you know, had I had the opportunity to join a a group of Civil War reenactors or medieval swordsmen with Nerf swords, I might have just said, wouldn't it be great to check out for a little bit, do that for a while, forget about that, and perhaps make it through this difficult life anyway. And when Paul says, look up, He's saying there was a mystery hidden for the ages. People were looking down and looking down and hoping and hoping that something would be revealed that would change everything. And he said, well, God did make this known. And it became our treasure. It was the basis for our riches. The glory of the mystery, which is Christ or the Messiah. The one who is the hope of glory. In another part of this, this, this book, he says, and it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So there's something about what is happening there that God takes and he bundles it together in a way that it happens inside of your life and mine. And my biggest hope is, well, I just kind of gave away, that was a spoiler alert. My biggest hope is, that the hope of, lot, hope of Jesus could come, come alive in you. And I know that doesn't happen overnight. It begins with the process of trusting everything that I've shared so far. Here's the third thing. And it's this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And this is where we get back to the ground level. We've been up here in the lofty heights of Jesus on the throne, and now it's just how do you take him into life? How do you leave here, and for the next six and a half days, take what you experience here, and and somehow, through the process of trusting God, see it come alive? And if you remember, we were micro-mastering some habits, And I mentioned earlier, spending just a little bit of time in the Word each day, spending a little bit of time in prayer, trusting God each day to answer our prayers and to join us in our processes, and taking some time, putting our phone down, perhaps turning off the TV, perhaps disengaging from those things that would distract us and reflecting and saying, God, here I am. This is my life. This is what's going on. And we can name important places like ourself in relation to him, important places like ourself in relation to people that we love and care about deeply, or perhaps our self and our relationship to our workplace, or anything that is important to you and I. And it is important for us to establish the habit of taking time in the word and time in prayer and then reflecting. You know, one of the habits that I've tried to get into is... Whenever church is finished, and I've had 30 conversations with people, I'll either just come and sit on the front pew or I'll sit back there in in my makeshift office. And I'll just replay the day. And I'll replay the conversations. And I'll reflect on what's going on and I'll ask, God, what happened today? And help me to just take my own self out of it. Whether I'm feeling up or down or whatever. And let me just ask you, Lord, what did we just experience? Whose voice did I hear perhaps calling out? Whose voice did I hear you speaking through? And there's something about listening that we're not very good at. And some of the people I'm working with, I work with. You know, they they hear me, have heard me say this phrase lately. There are two kinds of people. You know, those who listen so they can have an opportunity to talk. And there are those who listen. And I wonder sometimes, even in our prayer life, if we're praying but not listening. So if we can just capture those four things, take them into this moment and begin to expand on where we want to direct them towards the hope that we have, then these are the things I want you to take away from here. The first one is, as we look at what has just been described, it is, it is, it is described with language like riches or treasure. And it is given a valuation that says, this is extremely important. So important that it's worth selling everything for. And the first thing you need to know is there is a mystery. And not everybody who hears the name Jesus really understands what that means. Really has, even if they've been in church their whole life, really has a personal knowledge of how the name of Jesus is a signpost to the reality of a person who's very close. And how the closeness of that person, well, the mystery is, he forgives us. He hears our prayers. He gives us strength for everything that we do. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. He gives us courage whenever we find ourselves wavering. He is just there to be that abundant resource or source for the things that we need along the way. It's a mystery. And now the mystery has been disclosed. We know what it is. Secondly, um, as we as we look at um, the other possibilities from these passages there is a treasure and he's Jesus so that that is bundled into the mystery that we just um, talked about did you know that they're doing a re, uh, reset of Dora the Explorer anybody know anybody care anybody have kids that Watch Dora the Explorer. Okay, well then you know where I'm going with this. Maybe you remember the map song? I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. <laughs> we need Steven. Where's Steven at? He does this so much better than I do. He's 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 got all the Dora isms down, and I'm sure he's lining up to go see it. Probably even taking his Dora memorabilia that he doesn't know that you now know that he has. And he should take it to the Dora movie and do a a LARP with all the other Dora people. But the notion of a map is very important. And it is really an indication that when we begin to follow Jesus, we are going somewhere. It's not just, well, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior and now I can check that box because I'm good with God. It's more like, now I'm starting to follow Jesus because if you read the Bible, you will find that it isn't just about a once and done, but rather he's constantly saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And as we're going through all of the billboards of life that say this is bad and that's bad and that's challenging and that's threatening and that's a struggle and on and on, he's saying, follow me. And as we do, he gives us a map that shows us the way, starting with what he did here on earth. So you remember me saying that he began his ministry in the Jordan River as he was baptized and he went off into the desert and he was tested. I didn't mention that all the tests that he went through that are recorded, he passed for one reason, and that was because he did the mastery thing with Scripture. He read the Bible, and when the test came, he found a Scripture. That would help him through it. And I wonder. Just in the realm of application. If you look at your problem. Over here. And your Bible over there. And you say. I don't know how it fits together. It's a mystery. Well the mystery has been revealed. And it has been revealed in Jesus. And his word as it describes the characteristics. Of his life with God. You see Jesus when he reduced himself down to our humanity. He displayed for three years what it meant to be dependent upon the Father. He said, I can't do anything without the Father, and he spent time reading the Word. He spent time praying, as we know in Scripture, and he also spent time withdrawing and reflecting and asking the big picture question. We have all these problems over here, and we have all these promises over here, and we have resources in the Father up here, And I have the Holy Spirit who descended upon me like a dove when I was baptized. I think we can do this. And even when he was getting ready to die on the cross and he was wavering himself, he said, because I've, well, I've spent some time mastering some time in the word, some time in prayer, some time in reflecting, and for a long time, time with other people. And did you notice that if you've ever read the story of Jesus getting ready to be crucified and he's in the garden, what does it say? That he's alone. And that is the one time that he falters. Because it is not only critical that we have those three disciplines, but that we are also hopefully in good graces enough with each other that we can be a support when we need it. And all that stuff is just another way of saying in Jesus we have a map. We have someone who not only is our Lord and Savior but he also showed us a way. The mystery has been revealed and when he looks on the horizon he doesn't see uh, uh, Congress and and, and the President in conflict. He doesn't see Yeah, it's going to cost you 20 grand for health care. He doesn't see probably having to move to some Greek island to retire on. You know what he sees? He sees his greatest adversary, death. And he takes it on. And he doesn't despair. And he doesn't fall into hopelessness. And he doesn't look on the ground and say, I can't do this. Or perhaps when he started to feel that way, he looked up and he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He gave indication that there's a basis for our hope in anything that we face. And my, 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 my burden is when people are struggling... And they are facing these things that are so dire and so overwhelming. And maybe when we just collectively are living in the weirdness of what you would call 2019, how do we stay strong? How do we remain hopeful? Well, we have to kind of work on that connection, don't we? With the one who shows us the way. Well, primarily because There are dangers. There are so many threats to the lives of God's people in any given day. I mean, we're lucky we don't live in a country where you can't do this, what we're doing today, legally. And so many brothers and sisters around the planet have that burden. But I'd say ours is kind of the opposite. We can gather whenever we want to, whenever we feel like it, but perhaps... That's sort of where we've been gotten to, if I can use that bad grammar. We can gather when we feel like it. Well, I don't know if you can do what we do just when we feel like doing it. The idea behind a disciple is that there are routines and patterns and habits that we fall into that are disciplines that make us strong. And if we don't do these disciplines, I I just have to be honest with you, what we do here doesn't work. Then it's just us doing what we feel like doing when we feel like doing it. And when it gets challenging, you need a little more than your feelings because, believe me, I've had some dark feelings and I've said, Lord, do I let those govern my thinking or do I let the things that I've been reflecting on, do I let my connection with you through prayer, do I let the hope that is alive in me and alive in the people here and is alive in the witness of who Jesus is on the throne, govern me. There are dangers, but here, let's end it. I want to end it this way by saying maybe for the first time, the mystery is solved for you. Maybe you've known about Jesus and you've seen your circumstances and you've never felt that the two have any relationship with each other but maybe you're starting to see and the mystery is becoming less of a mystery and more of a, of a path because the map is sort of showing you what's not there or what, what you thought wasn't there that is there. You know they they, they, they did these aerial views of the city of Los Angeles. And when they, when they did that, they discovered that there were these signs of a time when, um, when, when, when light rail trains just zipped around the town in, in all manner and, and through neighborhoods that didn't follow the clearly defined lines of the streets today. And what they saw was exactly where these, uh, these light rail trains went based on how the buildings were shaped in relation to that space that formerly was a railroad track. And so many of the buildings had a certain curvature to it or a certain proximity to each other at an angle. And when you look at it from the sky, what you see are the scars, of what was formerly there. And a lot of people said, I didn't know. I just thought it was a green space. I didn't know that at one point this was a, a, a vital pathway for people to commute from the city to the suburbs or from one region of the town to the other. And as they began to see that pattern, they, they clearly realized that was the path. And maybe God is showing you the path so that the mystery is now becoming clearly beheld in your vision. Well, let me just tell you how this changes our lives. Not just temporarily forever and first it's this when Jesus is at the center of your map life begins to make sense and I shared this with Christian the other day I was saying how as a non-believer I saw a lot of chaos and as a believer everything started to find an order in a healthy way as a result of that, I feel like that it introduced some stability into my own life that I could build on and build a relationship that evolved into a a marriage that evolved into a family and in all of those places, Jesus has been sort of the center of the map and this leads me to the final point and that is Created from that is an attitude that says he's been faithful. He's taken me out of the chaos, out of the fear, out of the uncertainty. That is the world that was, in, in my case, 1983. Some of you are like, I wasn't even around then, pastor. Others of you are like, yeah, I kind of remembered my hair back then. So, you know, to Now. And along the way, he's shown himself faithful year in and year out. And as a result of that, I, my attitude is, is simply, I'm grateful. I am grateful that these things that I trusted in that were so mysterious, that were proclaimed to be alive, are in fact alive. And out of that gratitude, well, I hope it's contagious. I hope that people can see in your life and hopefully in mine as well that there's something to be said about the things that we believe. And it's not just making a deal with the Lord and getting saved as much as it is how it is that he saves every minute of every day of our lives as we trust him. And my goal in this whole series is is for you to recognize that when you begin to master a few small things, like I keep mentioning about the word and prayer and reflection and and being in community with other people, that something powerful begins to happen in your life where you can say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And there's so many resources that are embedded in the scripture that are so mysterious until we we discover them along the way and then we say, I can use that for this and I can use that for that and I can find a basis of hope in in, in a hopeless situation and I can look up and be hopeful when everything that I see when I look down is hopeless. So I'm just going to end it here. I don't know if everyone in the room has made that connection. But the mystery that I'm hoping to share today is simply Jesus. And the question that I leave you with is, is he in your life? And if he is, then all the stuff that causes people to fall into distraction and live action role play and alternate versions of their own life because the one that they're living is so crappy. If you could just look at your life through the lens of the presence of Jesus in your life, I think you could live in the real world and do just fine. However you see God making that connection in your life, I, I and many people around you want to help that come alive you can you can come and see me anytime even during the worship service go into the studio put something on your connect card however it is that we can make that make that arrangement possible we want to do it would you bow with me father i just want to lift up everyone in our congregation today i'm grateful for your presence through your spirit to speak to us through your word i pray that the things that i said would be faithful and in in concert with your will and purpose but i pray father especially as i lift up everyone here to you i pray that you would speak to their lives their needs their hopes their aspirations their worries their fears the things that bring them down i pray that they may discover in you a new path and a new way i pray for those who have not really invested time and just a few habits in a short amount of time each day that they would begin to take hold of your word and to get on their knees in prayer and to step back and stand on the balcony and look at their lives and ask the question, what are you doing? I pray, Father, that you would help us to connect in community with others so that we can find grace and joy and peace and love that we can learn to grow through our differences, that we can work through them in a spirit of reconciliation, that we can be a community. I pray for First Christian Church that all of those features would come alive in your people. I pray that when they see me, they see somebody who's consistent in each of those facets, and if not, Father, just reveal that to me, however. I pray, Father, that we could, we could come alive in you. So we thank you, Father, for the disciplines and for the hope that drives them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.